This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 13th of November and today we've got a treat for you. A yummy treat. We sure do. One of the things that we get most questions about really is about sewerage testing because we know that people who have coronavirus or who have had it can shed parts of it into their their poo and that that can end up in the sewerage system and it's detectable. And so we know that it's possible to detect coronavirus in sewage. And rather than ask more questions of Norman, who's just going to want to talk about coronavirus farts and jobbies, we thought we'd bring on um, CSIRO's Science Director, Land and Water, Dr. Paul Birch. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Let's just start by, can you just describe how it works um, and you know, how you do this, and where you take your samples from and you know that sort of stuff? Sure. So uh, it's in principle, you could go to the postcode level or even finer in terms of resolution. It really depends on where you take that sample. In our pilot study that we did here in Queensland, we were actually taking it at the influent of a wastewater treatment plant. So it was really aggregating up uh, over hundreds of thousands of uh, individuals. But we are uh, doing prisons uh, and some uh, aged care facilities, as well as uh, long-haul airplanes, and uh, we've done cruise ships. So, Paul, we put the call out to our listeners this week to say that you were coming on, and they've sent in some questions for you. So, James is asking, for how long after the coronavirus is deposited in sewage, is it still detectable? There are issues relative to the fact that the virus degrades in wastewater. Wastewater is very, very rich in surfactants. Surfactants are the active ingredients in soap, and this particular virus is quite fragile in the presence of soap. So you can imagine uh, that the degradation begins at the beginning of the journey uh, all the way to the end of the pipe. Uh, So it does depend on how large your sewage distribution system is uh, and that travel time. Uh, We've done a study looking at uh, travel times uh, and under various physico-chemical conditions as well as temperature. And we believe that under the Australian context, in terms of uh, our wastewater treatment systems, uh, there would not be any issue with detecting the viral fragments in any of our systems. But there would be places in larger metropolitan areas and other places in the world where that could be a challenge. And so you would certainly have to take it further up pipe. So speaking of further up pipe, I mean, how, how, are, how is our sewage system designed? How would you go down to postcode? And are all sewage systems in Australia so designed that you could actually go down to postcode? It is a bit of a challenge. So you would have to go down a manhole currently and uh, uh, manipulate the system to be able to take a sample. There are areas, uh, municipalities around the world that actually do this routinely and uh, actually have uh, sampling devices uh, that are installed uh, further up pipe to make it a bit easier to do. Uh, There is a a startup company in the U.S. called BioBot, and they've actually uh, built robots that can go up pipe. Uh, And they are currently looking at uh, working uh, on new designs uh, to make their robots uh, fit for purpose for biological samples. But you can imagine uh, having these robots uh, go up the pipe, uh, sit and and, and take a sample over, uh, integrated over a certain time period and then return samples. So what's the average time period that you measure your samples over? I mean, I've heard that you aggregate samples and it might be a week of sewage that you're averaging. Uh, No, typically we're doing a um, a 24-hour integration. 
And so, you know, most of the surveillance systems are uh, around the world are typically doing two to three to four samples per week per treatment plant or wherever uh, if they're going up pipe. So the frequency does vary from uh, different jurisdictions and different uh, health departments, et cetera. Here in Queensland, we've been uh, aggregating over 24 hours and doing that several days a week. So we've got a couple of people asking, Andrew and Lynn are both asking about the sensitivity of the test. Can you tell from the samples that you're picking up how many people in that catchment could have coronavirus? Could, you, could it pick it up if it was only one person? Yeah, so there's a, a modeling study that was conducted at the University of Arizona. They've estimated under ideal conditions, you could detect one infected individual in two million. And under the worst factors, it would be about one in 110,000. Uh, so it is very sensitive, and and that range is is due to things like travel time, like we talked about, and other uh, aspects of the uh, wastewater treatment system, such as industrial inputs versus uh, just domestic sewage, et cetera, uh, and and looking at temperature and other uh, factors of degradation. So you can see that uh, those estimates uh, suggest that even in the worst case scenario, which uh, again we wouldn't uh, be experiencing that here in Australia, it would be one in one hundred and ten thousand. We have some confidence uh, here uh, from our work in the pilot uh, scale study here in Queensland, in southeast Queensland, in Brisbane, that we easily were able to detect two infected individuals out of about 300,000 by actually sampling sewage influent into the wastewater treatment plant. What we've done in that case is we've gone back and uh, examined samples that were stored properly earlier. In that case, we had individuals in the hospital uh, who had disembarked from the Ruby Princess and were hospitalized here in Brisbane, in, in, in North Brisbane. Just on that, um, Paul, Berger asks, how, how useful is it, for example, when you've got people coming into hotel quarantine increasingly, so and they're positive with COVID-19, don't they, in fact, spoil it for finding out community spread? They absolutely do contribute. So South Australia has been doing some surveillance, and uh, because they've had no socially transmitted cases in South Australia for some time, they know that the positives are getting now are coming out of individuals that are in quarantine in hotels. So, so certainly that contributes. And again, it, it's really how you uh, use the information. And, and I think um, one of the things that's uh, becoming better known as time goes on and, and we collect more and more data is that people continue to shed after they recover. And that uh, happens for oftentimes uh, weeks after recovery. So, so they would also be contributing. But keep in mind that uh, what we're really uh, interested in is uh, an early warning surveillance opportunity. And going back again, looking retrospectively at samples uh, uh, here in Brisbane, we were detecting uh, positives in South Brisbane three weeks before the first clinical case had actually been uh, diagnosed. Oh, that's actually something we've got a question on from Dean about people who are no longer infectious shedding fragments. And Dean was asking, have we ever found an infectious case based on sewage testing? And you're saying yes. Uh, yes, uh, very much so. Look, there's there's some r- really good examples around the world uh, of early warning detection and then a public health response that uh, is appropriate that has really uh, stopped the spread. One really interesting example is um, in the United States, universities were going back to session in late August, uh, early September. And University of Arizona uh, had a program where they were actually measuring uh, sewage coming out of dorms. 
Uh, they got a positive in one dorm that had 312 students. Their response was to go in and do individual clinical testing on all 312. They found two individuals that were infected that were displaying no symptoms. So the other beauty of this is you, an individual that's infected will begin to shed either before they show symptoms, so pre-symptomatic, or even if they're asymptomatic, that is that they never really express uh, symptoms to where they would believe that they were infected. And so in this case, they went in, they isolated those two students, and no other students um, were infected. And you can imagine that usually, as you know, in, in terms of the asymptomatic cases, uh, they're highly skewed to uh, younger, uh, healthier individuals in the population. And so those individuals, if they did express uh, symptoms, it could have been weeks after, and uh, that would have been a significant uh, opportunity for spreading throughout the dorm. Uh, another uh, good example is work we're doing on Qantas long-haul flights. Most recently, a flight from Delhi to Darwin had 180 passengers. All of those passengers were tested 72 hours before boarding the plane, all negative. When the plane arrived in Darwin, uh, we tested positive uh, for the sewage uh, in the plane. And in the first day of quarantine, five individuals tested positive. Gosh. And what's the false negative rate? In other words, if you're finding virus in the sewage, but it's just people who are shedding but not infectious. Here in Queensland, we, we had a positive uh, in Arley Beach, for example, and um, the public health response was to set up pop-up testing centers, which people responded to quite well. We did not find any evidence of community infection, so the conclusion was it was either someone that was potentially passing through that uh, had recovered uh, or potentially boats that were discharging into the sewage system. So we don't know for sure, but I have to say that the, the health department is quite uh, happy with being able to use this as an opportunity to raise the awareness within the community that this virus is still potentially present. It may not be communicable at the current time because it may have been someone that recovered, but it is present. And if you show any symptoms, please get tested. How widespread is it across Australia? Currently, we're aware of um, in Victoria, uh, New South Wales, South Australia, and Queensland, I'm told that there's some testing going on in, in Western Australia. I'm, I'm still trying to uh, track down who's doing it and, and what methods they're using. So one of the concerns that we have is just the lack of coordination in terms of uh, really understanding the fact that we're all using the same uh, methods that we feel comfortable uh, with uh, sharing our data across state and territory boundaries. We just don't have enough information in terms of uh, individual programs and, and in terms of how many uh, waste treatment plants are being sampled and uh, the frequency of that sampling. Some states are uh, posting their information uh, online, as you may know, and some aren't. So it's, uh, it, it's really uh, spotty at the current time. I, I have to say that wastewater-based epidemiology uh, is uh, just relatively unexplored here in Australia compared to other places. Uh, you know, Israel's been looking for viruses and uh, in, in wastewater for decades. And one of the things they're quite concerned about is polio, which is still uh, active in, in the Middle East. And uh, in 2013, this was another big win for why you would want to use uh, wastewater-based epidemiology. They got a, they got a positive detect for polio when they did not know there was any polio in the community, which then they had a public health response that was aggressive and making sure everybody was vaccinated and tested and they were able to get that under control very quickly. It seems like such a powerful tool. And is it 
Is it not national because it's a cost factor or just because it, there hasn't sort of been that top-down approach to it? There's a whole variety of reasons, but uh, yes, it, it has been bottom-up in terms of uh, states um, recognizing that this is an important tool in the toolbox. It's one that, um, again, that early warning surveillance is, uh, is, is, is unique, particularly from the standpoint of asymptomatic and presymptomatic individuals. And it's, it's complementary, obviously, to uh, individual testing. But if you're doing individual testing just randomly through a community, you know, that's not going to be as effective as if you uh, have this early warning surveillance and then you know where to concentrate your individual testing. Paul, that's been fascinating. Thank you very much indeed. Well, thank you for having me. That's Paul, Dr. Paul Birch, who's CSRO Science Director, Landon Water. So now I don't need to do any more potty jokes. We've got the facts, Tegan. Thanks again, Paul. And thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next week. 